invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Zephaniah chapter 3. Now, if you're like most people, you haven't been in Zephaniah very often, if at all. And so, just to help you out, well, let me tell you, you are allowed to look at the order, you know, the table of contents and find the page number. Uh, I know some people that have had to do that, including myself. (laughs) But then... uh, If you're just opening your Bible and you come to Psalms, you need to go to the right. If you go to the Gospels, you need to go back to the left. Because Zephaniah is a book, it's unknown to many, it's there at the end of the Old Testament. It's a very small book, only three chapters. And another reason why people don't really follow Zephaniah that much is because it is a book about judgment. It talks about the day of the Lord, where the Lord is coming and overwhelming his enemies, those who sin against him. It talks about the day of the Lord to come. Judgment against the nations. Zephaniah talks about judgment against God's people in Judah. And what's happening at this context is their idols are all over the place and people are making idols, embracing idols, either the people that claim to know God are embracing idols, and that triggers God's just anger. But then you come to the very last part of the book, the final 12 verses, and there are words of hope. The text that we're going to examine here in verses 14 through 17 is just a little nugget from these words of hope. Some One commentator actually says that verse 17 of Zephaniah, Zephaniah 3.17, is the Old Testament version of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So we have this, and the message of all of this together, the message of Zephaniah, is that sin triggers the holy judgment of God. But sin never extinguishes the love of God. Follow along with me as I read just these four verses from Zephaniah chapter 3. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you. By his love, he will exult over you with loud singing. Let's pray again. Oh Lord, the prophet Isaiah says it. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But your word, O Lord, Last forever. Oh Lord, 
Open our eyes that we may see the wonderful things you had for us in this portion of your word. By your great mercy and faithfulness, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I want you to picture a man in his late 40s, early 50s. Someone asked him about his view of God. And he put it this way, I see God as someone up there sitting in heaven with a big stick, watching everything I do, and just ready to pop me whenever I get out of line. Now those are words of a man who was a churchgoer every week, week after week, to go to church. But it was also a man who was very good at his sin, at hiding his sin. Sin of lying, sin of anger, adultery. In fact, most people didn't know what he was guilty of, but yet he knew he was guilty. And he was afraid of God because he knew that God would be up there to pop him. He was an unbeliever. But yet when you deal with it, sometimes those thoughts are shared by many people. Many people who have a vague knowledge of God will say, yes, he's up there, he's just a big judge wanting to keep people in line. And sometimes it's not even just the unbeliever. Sometimes it's people who have a profession of faith but still see God as someone who just wants to keep them in line. They may say something like this. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, so God will let me into heaven. But you know, most of the time, I just don't see him as very happy with me. In fact, as they picture God, they picture a frown rather than a smile. It's part of our human nature. We struggle with our sin nature and we have this fear of God's displeasure... And what can do, it can paralyze us and even lead us to despair where all we see, even in our, sometimes we're reluctant to pray, or when we do have prayer, we're sort of feeling we've got to change his mind towards us because what we see is God's frown. Now, you might say, well, that's for unbelievers. No, even mature Christians struggle with this. People who have been to church and know the gospel, have done Bible studies, they can struggle with it, and that's why God gives us this text here in Zephaniah chapter 3. Now, you, you can't read Zephaniah, the whole book, and think, well, Zephaniah is just soft on sin. No, he's not excusing sin. But what Zephaniah presents is that even as you understand the holiness of God, you must never forget the love of God. It is true, God in His holiness comes to judge wickedness. That is very true. But God's presence also brings great joy. And so what we have is this fullness of this great God and the fullness of His salvation. And what Zephaniah is presenting to his people is that in light of the fullness of this salvation, God's people rejoice. Now as you've looked through the service, we've had him after him rejoicing. Rejoice, give thanks, and sing. The blessings that come, blessed assurance, all of that is that, that 
That's the response of a heart Zephaniah is talking about. Zephaniah spoke in a time of Israel's history. It was a period of reform. Israel had had some very wicked kings who had led the people astray into idolatry. And God was bringing judgment on his people. This is before the exile. So what was happening is the wickedness that triggered God's judgment came. But then God brought a period of reform. Even though the the judgment would come, it was in this time of reform. And then Zephaniah spoke. And Zephaniah, as he described the judgment, it would be horrible. But God's love would have the final word. As you look at verse 3, if you look a couple verses up, in verses 9 through 12, it has this idea of God doing the work to establish a remnant. It was this remnant that God would turn them from their pride and their sense of self-sufficiency, and that remnant would humbly seek refuge in the Lord. And it is that remnant that has hope. As you think about the exhortation in this text, what is the text calling us to do? It's very clear there in verse 14. I tried to read it with that emotion that's present there. It says, sing aloud, shout, rejoice, exult. And this is this idea of wholehearted celebration of God's people. But the question is, why? Why do you celebrate? The short answer is, God is at work. And the commands of verse 14 are the emotional response of those who have have received this news of great victory, this news of a powerful work. You know, emotions are often hard for us as God's people. Sometimes it's just because we're, I don't know, we're Presbyterians and we're not supposed to be emotional. Some people think that. Sometimes we're just, we've heard the message time and again. It's, yeah, yeah, I heard it. It's, so it doesn't move us, move us. But here's the idea. Knowing God and His work. If you do that, it shows in your life. If you know God and understand His work, it will show up in your life, and how you live, how you view what's going on in the world. But you've got to ask this question, what is God doing? What, what, is the, what is the prophet bringing out? Well, look at verse 15. He says, God clears away enemies. God removes that which opposes his remnant. First is judgments. He removes judgments. The idea is this, God turns aside the righteous consequence of their guilt. Now, it's not a compromise. It's not this idea of God being a big, great big granddaddy in the sky who, oh, okay, you know, it's really all right with you. That's not the picture here. What the picture is, is God is deflecting the judgment that's deserved away from the remnant. So God clears away the judgments, but he also clears away the enemies. Now, an interesting thing here is in reference here in Zephaniah, The enemies, it's referring to the armies that God would use when he brought judgment against his people. And so those people are coming, those enemies are coming against, but God's saying, 
he will not only send them, but he'll also turn them away. And so the message there is that the oppression is a limited oppression. So here's the message. This God made a covenant with a people. He has a relationship with this people. And he will not allow those who trust in him to languish in bondage. Now we who are on this side of the cross and know the the gospel of the New Testament, our eyes, we can clarify some of what the prophet's talking about because we understand that when it talks about judgments being deflected, where were those judgments deflected? On the cross. When Christ said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That being forsaken was because of our sin. It was a judgment we deserve that was placed on Christ. And then when we understand that he clears away the enemies, he's removing the opponents, those who oppose God and oppose his Christ, God will remove them. But it also has this idea. It removes, God removes anything that hinders our obedience to him. You can put it this way. God is faithful to purify his people. That's why God does send times of testing, times of discipline into our own lives. And and we're tempted to think, because sometimes the message is in our, our culture, that when those times of testing and what we think of divine displeasure, we think, well, God is punishing us for something we did wrong. No. The whole of Scripture doesn't doesn't present that. Rather, what happens in these times of testing, read the book of Hebrews, it presents this. It's the idea that God is disciplining us, turning us away from that which is ultimately harmful to lead us in the path of full fellowship with Him. And so we have joy because God clears away the enemy. But we also have joy because God strengthens the fearful. Verse 15 talks about the great king is in their midst. Understand what's being presented here. Israel had been exploited by wicked rulers. Kings who were just serving for their own pleasure, for their own benefit. And they were leading the people astray into away from God. And so what he's presenting here is that a great king would come... And it also has the idea that as they were presented with these evil rulers who were leading them astray, you have that idiom which says, your hands grow weak. That's an idiom in the Old Testament for discouragement. That they had seen the evil, they, the evil had pressured around them, and, and they, they just grew discouraged. And so what the prophet is saying here is the Lord has not abandoned his people. Jerusalem, the place where the Lord dwells. Zion, the great fortress that would bring protection and power. It would be established after the exile. And so what was being presented here is knowledge of God's powerful presence would strengthen those who trust in Him. 
as you think about it, it, it is true that the evil we experience in the world around us can wear us down. A while back, I was reading, it was a Facebook post of a friend of mine, and it directed me to an article, internet article, about what's going on, even in the Atlanta area, of modern-day slavery. And it told the story of a young lady who was a high school graduate, and she was getting ready to go to college. But the problem was her family life was horrible. Parents were getting divorced, and her mom was going to jail for financial crimes that she had been convicted of. And so here was this young lady, 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, who was just really distraught. And so she would get on Facebook and she'd talk about her own struggles and just this need. Well, what happened? These criminals troll through Facebook looking for especially young girls who seem vulnerable. And they'll engage them in conversation, going back and forth. And then eventually, here is this man promising her marriage and promising her a new life. And and it sounded so great because her life was so horrible. And just slowly, the man, why don't we meet together? And almost from the moment they met, once the victim was in his midst, then the abuse began. Started slowly and then increased. Drugs, prostitution, slavery. So here was a girl. She, she was smart. She looked completely normal. But over time, the evil wore her down. That's how evil works. As we think about the world in which we live, evil is all around us. We think about our own lives, our personal struggle with sin. It, it wears us down. Sometimes the guilt discourages us and we say, I'm just tired of fighting. And that's why this text is important, because it says God breaks through. God says, I, I, I never abandon you. God is saying, my presence gives you strength. The verb at the end of verse 16, where it says, don't let your hands grow limp, that, that acts as a command. He's saying, resist a sense of despair. Why? Because God is with you. God is with us. Scripture presents this. Theologians call this the Emmanuel principle. Emmanuel means God with us. And throughout Scripture, you see God telling His fearful people, I am with you. Think about Joshua. Joshua, before they were going into the promised land, time and again he said, don't be afraid, Joshua. I'm with you. Be strong and courageous. Why? I am with you. I am with you. He's saying this is how we move forward even when we're struggling with despair. God is with us when we struggle and our struggle with sin discourages us. And, and, and there are times where we fall and we give in to our temptation. Now, God does not rejoice over that fall, but neither is His affection removed from us. God comes to us and says, I'm still with you. Stand firm. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is God never says, okay, you fell, so now you've got all the way to go back here to the start so you can make up. That is not how God works. God meets us where we are, picks us up, and says, I will strengthen you to move on. That is the good news. 
of how God deals with sinners who struggle with their sin. And so, God's faithful. We sing because He clears away the enemies. He strengthens the fearful. But God also cherishes His people. Verse 17 repeats an idea that's presented there in verse 15. God is present. God is present as a great warrior, a mighty one who will save. If you go back and look in Zephaniah from chapter 1 all the way to just the beginning of chapter 3, what you see is God's power in just judgment. But now what you see at the end of Zephaniah is that same power achieving salvation. And with this mighty salvation, God also expresses His emotion toward those he has saved. Have you ever thought about that? The emotions that God has for his people? Zephaniah presents it there in three statements. First he says, he rejoices with gladness. The picture there is of a party celebration. That the, the celebration that you would have at a, at a party, whether it be a party for something great happening in your life or a birthday party, that rejoicing, that's the emotion God feels, that gladness, that happiness. The second one is that he quiets with his love. Here the picture is of God calming a mother, calming a distressed child. And then the third one, he exalts with loud singing. The picture here is songs of praise for the couple where you, you celebrate the couple and you give blessings on the couple. That's the exaltation that's presented here. The summary of all these is there's this exuberant joy that God has for His people. God's emotions for us as the objects of His salvation are not subdued. No, He has this joy-filled love How is this possible? How is it possible when we are the ones who struggle with our sin, we are the ones who fall and give in to our temptation, how is it possible? Well, again, go back to verse 15. The righteous judgment has been deflected. And so his love remains. Well, to whom do these blessings belong? If you go up in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 12, these blessings belong to those who seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who seek refuge in the work of Christ. How do you view God today? Is your view... A man up there with a big stick? If it is, then you need to ask yourself this very important question. Have I sought refuge in Christ? Have I trusted that Christ took the judgment for all that I do wrong? He took the punishment in my place. you've never done that, let today be the day 
why wait anymore? Why try to deal with your own sin and say, well, God, I'm just going to try harder, and then you'll like me again. No, that's not going to work. Because you never can make it up. Just go to God and say, Jesus, take my wrath. Take the wrath that I deserve. When God puts his wrath on Christ, he puts all of it. But I trust that most of us here understand and have trusted that Jesus took our our sin. We know that, but we still struggle. We we still struggle with our own sin. Well, what we need to do is let the good news of what Christ has done sink into our lives, sink more deeply. All of God's wrath was poured out on Christ. All of God's wrath. There's no wrath left for us because Christ paid it all. And so all to Him I owe. God looks on you. If you've placed your faith in Christ, God looks on you and sees the one you call Savior. And so the righteous judge, without compromising his holiness one bit, rejoices. Understanding that God rejoices over us, moves us to live. Now think about it. Why would God give this picture of hope at the end of a book of judgment? Keep in mind, the exile is still coming. The exile is not that far away from when Zephaniah spoke these words. But what you have here in the book of Zephaniah is a snapshot. Think of it this way. It's a cliche in war movies, but it still reflects reality. Think about the soldier who's going into battle. And he carries with him a picture of his loved ones. And so as he's struggling with what, with being apart and with going into the battle and not knowing what's happening, is the anxiety there, there's discouragement that comes, the soldier takes out the picture and looks at the one who loves him. And, and he feels the presence of that love. That gives him the strength to go on. That gives him the strength to engage in the battle. You see what God's doing in this text? He's giving us a picture of himself and the love that he has for us because of Christ. And so his people rejoice and seek to press on. Let me go back to that man who saw God as a man with a stick. Two years before that man died, he was an unbeliever who saw God as the man with a stick, but he heard a different message. He went to a service with his wife. His wife has been a believer for many years. And after they went to the service they ran into this man's co-worker. And the co-worker invited this man to do a Sunday school class. Well, he said, oh, you know, we can't go. You know, my wife, she's got to get meal ready. No, we've got the meal in the oven. Everything's ready. Oh, well, you got to... No, all of his objections that he put forward were answered. 
And so maybe out of guilt or shame or embarrassment, who knows, he went to that Sunday school class. And in that Sunday school class, the topic was the Gospel of John. And here, this man heard about the one called the beloved disciple who had a personal relationship with God, even to the point of leaning his head on Jesus' breast. And this personal relationship with God was based on the work of Christ. Now, there's no, no fireworks, no bells and whistles, but that man was changed. For he embraced the truth that Jesus took the stick that this man was so afraid of And in Christ, that man could see God's smile. That man was my father. All of that happened after I had already moved out of the house. I was in the Air Force, stationed thousands of miles away. But even on the phone, there was a change. Because my father could finally see a God who smiled on him in Christ. I ask you again, what do you see? A stick or a smile? Know this, Jesus came to remove the stick. And so in perfect justice, God can rejoice over you with gladness quiet you by his love and exult over you with loud singing. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you know him as Savior, rest secure in his smile. Show him. Show him and others the joy you have because of Christ. Let's pray.